let's talk about sex. Not like sexy sex, like anthropomorphized animal sex. Filmmakers put all kinds of human attributes onto animals in films. That's a big reason why we love them. We love dogs playing instruments and mice solving crimes and Parisian cats inheriting large sums of money to raise their aristocratic families. But when the overturns turn sexual, things start to get kind of weird. For example, the new film Ted 2 is about a vulgar, talking, stuffed animal bear who's trying to fight for paternity rights with his human wife. The film, which, by the way, is ironically trying to hew to his civil rights storyline while engaging in transphobic and misogynistic jokes, is all about how hilarious it is to see a teddy bear engage in human sexuality. So I got some big news. Tammy Lynn and I are going to have a baby. That's awesome. Wait, how do you guys... We, uh, we need a sperm donut. Can I just note here to say that the first Ted film made over $200 million? I do not understand America. But anyway, I am not the only person, obviously, who feels squicky about human-like animal sex. Probably the most flagrant example of off-the-mark horny animals in films in history is 1986 film Howard the Duck. The film produced by George Lucas that's about a duck named Howard who is somehow shot out of his own duck universe and into the human universe, where he immediately rescues a woman from thugs who then invites him back to her house to have sex with him. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that gives science fiction a bad name. Bitch Media Associate Editor Amy Lamb recently watched Howard the Duck for the first time and has this 60-second rant about it. I just had just watched Howard the Duck on TV, and I was excited to watch it because it looked like um, one of those classic films from the 80s that I just never got a chance to see. Um, and I kind of had high hopes because it looked kind of kitschy and fun. But within the opening sequence, I knew I wouldn't like it because uh, before Howard the Duck is transported to the human world, he gets like zapped out of his duck world uh, through his apartment building. He like goes through all these random apartments. And in one of the scenes, shots, it shows... Um, a female duck in the in a bathtub taking a bath and I knew she was a female duck because in the film uh, she has boobs like lady boobs with nipples on her duck costume so I immediately knew that there's something wrong with this movie I don't know why this female duck need to have boobies and but I watched it anyway because I thought well maybe that's just a weird thing that's just happening at the beginning but as I watched it I it was just so bizarre because this duck gets transported to the human world and it's a live action movie uh so it's like this little three foot tall duck waddling everywhere and and you, you get the sense that like he meets um this character played by leah thompson and they're having like this weird sexual chemistry and she, at one at one point she's like on all fours with her backside to the camera and it just felt so sexual and weird like she was like three seconds away from having sex with this duck before like the authorities bust in on her anatomically it was bizarre and like the costume itself was not that bad except that his bill was really um inflexible which makes sense because ducks duck bills aren't flexible but like she makes out with it you know and it was just like is this happening to me right now like am i am i really watching this that's why it was just mind-boggling thanks amy this is actually happening i'm sorry to say i have developed a greater appreciation for the female version of the human anatomy oh howard you really are the worst 
So here's the point where I say that not all on-screen animal sex is bad. In 2009, Science Illustrator Couture Reynolds wrote an article for Bitch about representations of insect sex on screen. What can I say? We cover all the angles. I met up with Couture recently outside her workplace, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry, where she now works designing science exhibits. Right this way. Wow, there's nobody here yet. I feel like we get to sneak into the museum. I know, if you want to, like, I don't know, operate the robot sneakily with no one else around you, too, totally can. I won't tell. Operate the robot? It's not like anyone listens to this podcast, right? You guys have the you guys have the science section in the New York Times stuck to the wall. Oh yeah, you bet. Wow. This place is so cool. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah. So Katura, you're a scientific illustrator as well as an exhibit designer. And so I am curious, today we're talking about representations of animal sex on screen. So I wanted to know about how you feel about sort of animated representations of animal sex. Let's say Bugs Bunny cartoons. Now, I remember when we were first discussing this concept, Bugs Bunny came to mind originally. And it's not necessarily that Bugs Bunny I've ever seen having, like, graphic sex on TV. That that may be <laughs> out there, but I've never seen it, and I'm not looking for it. <laughs> um, but I feel like the sort of the representations of gender sort of wrap into this whenever I think about um, this topic. I'm, you know, I go to Bugs Bunny because, and this says a lot about me, I guess, um, I feel like as a little kid, I learned so much about like how gender works from bugs, um, because he's you know he's a trickster, he's a crossdresser. Um, he will you know like dress up as a girl and put on the perfume and whatnot to like lure Elmer Fudd into whatever sort of sneaky trick he's got up his sleeve or whatever. But I feel like um, the the thing about Bugs Bunny that always stuck in my head as a kid is that when Bugs is just sort of presenting male. He's a, he's a rabbit, right? You know, he's got ears, he's got a little bunny nose, he's got a tail, he's just a plain gray rabbit. Whenever Bugs is presenting female, he gets into this costume where he's got like lipstick and false eyelashes and like all of this like bling and maybe a little dress or something. Um, and it just always struck me as a really interesting example of how um, you know, the default is male. And then in order to be female, you have to, like, put on ornamentation. And I thought that, you know, like, as a little kid, that really struck me. Um, I've been reading a lot of um, Sesame Street books uh, with my toddler. How old is your kid? Oh, she will be two in October. She's, she's a little more than one and a half now. Um, and she's just devouring books left and right. And she, she, it turns out she likes drawing some Muppets, so that's cool. <laughs> um, but there's, you know, there's a whole, like, new wave of Muppets that's come in with Elmo and Zoe and all of these characters that I didn't grow up with. So I'm just trying to sort of get familiar with these characters. And it's interesting how we've got sort of the pair of Elmo as the little red monster, right, the cute one with the funny voice. Um, and then he's got sort of a, a companion monster named Zoe, who's sort of a yellow-orange, who has all of the jewelry. She's got, like, earrings and tiaras and necklaces and things. And it's like, oh, you know, the gendering of little monsters. That's really interesting. I mean, I think I think probably what's going on is that the, the Muppet guys were like, let's have some characters that will appeal to girly girls. And certainly I've got girly girls in the family, I, you know, 
let's let's welcome them into the world of monsters too. Yay! <laughs> um, but it's just sort of interesting looking at that, how that, you know, it's sort of the gendering becomes like, if you're just a monster or just a rabbit, then you're male. If you're a rabbit or a monster that has sparkly things, then you're female. I always thought that was really interesting. So were the gendered representations of these animals something that you thought about when you were growing up? Or is it just since you had kids that you're like, oh, geez, this is kind of screwed up, and I can see it now that I'm an adult. (laughs) I actually was thinking about sort of gender and animals a lot when I was a kid, um, which is maybe weird. Um, (laughs) I remember when I was... I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. I was like just on the cusp of junior high when everyone starts getting all hormonal and bizarre, right? You know, and bleh. It's a very awkward time. Um, and I would just, you know, I, would, I, I was a big reader of books. And so I'd hang out at the playground on the elementary school and watch, like, all the boys playing their boy games and watch all the girls, like, ah, huddled together and being like, oh, the boys are looking at us. And I was, I was just, like, I would instantly, like, doing, start doing this analysis of it as if like oh well that is the the herd of female elk over there and notice how the males are clashing their horns together to try to get the attention of the females and it just the world made more sense to me when it was framed through sort of nature shows I guess and trying to understand people's behavior by what animals do. So you were like a 10 year old pretentious anthropologist who was determining nature shows. Absolutely I was I was that's how I dealt with all the awkwardness of middle school was I just pretended I was Jane Goodall and was taking notes on the monkeys around me. (laughs) (laughs) That's really great. But it's, it's interesting now that I've got a kid of my own just sort of watching how that all plays out you know through the lens of this tiny new human Although, I mean, she's bigger every day. She's not as tiny as she used to be. Um, Our pediatrician's office, you know, each of the little rooms where you do your checkup has a little mural on the wall. And one of the offices, one of the paintings on the checkup room, what is the name of that? One of the paintings on the wall in the room where you sit on the little table and they check your height and weight and all that is a Noah's Ark painting, which in itself is a little funny because it's like, do I want Bible scenes? Hmm. You know, the other ones are fire trucks and spaceships and whatnot, but we've got Noah's Ark too. Um, And for the Noah's Ark representations, they've got like two snakes, of course, and one of the snakes has big, giant, exaggerated eyelashes and the other one doesn't. So you can say, oh, look, that's the boy and that's the girl. And I walked in and I was like, I don't think I'm going to switch pediatricians just because of that painting, but man, that bugs me. I mean, I'm a scientific illustrator, so I'm like, reptiles don't have eyelashes. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Discussing the representations of animal sex on screen is not new ground for Katura. I dug through the archives of Bitch Magazine and found the article that she wrote in 2009 for our Buzz issue about an unusual video series that explores the world of insect sexuality. Here she is, reading part of the article, which is called Wings of Desire. Houseflies, we can all agree, are pretty gross. They swarm on piles of poo, and then they walk all over your sandwich. They spread disease, and they give birth to maggots so unattractive. But houseflies are the star of a video made by actress Isabella Rosalini. If I were a fly, a common one, a mosca domestica, you would try to swat me. 
You can't catch me. My eyes see movement 200 times better than human eyes. That newspaper coming at me looked really slow. The video series is called Green Porno. In this video, Rosalini is dressed in a fly costume, and she explains the facts of life for houseflies. Here's a detail you may not be familiar with. Flies are hunks of burning love. I have sex several times a day, any opportunity, any female. In this video, Rosalini humps a paper cutout of a giant housefly, and she's grinning broadly for the camera while she does it. The short films in the Green Porno series were written by Rosalini and co-directed with Jody Shapiro. They feature Rosalini acting out the sex lives of flies, praying mantises, earthworms, dragonflies, bees, fireflies, snails, spiders, and more. The films are simultaneously hilarious, scientifically accurate, unrepentantly corny, compellingly sexy, and completely bizarre. But what really caught my attention was the fact that they flaunt established norms of gender and sexuality. Rosalini came up with the idea for green porno when she was invited to make short, flashy films about the environment. She explained, quote, to me, flashy translated into sex. I've always been interested in animals and animal behavior, and everybody's interested in sex, so I figured, let's go there. In some of the films, she plays the role of the male sex partner, which makes her panting and moaning really funny rather than uncomfortably smutty. Through gender bending, Rosalini is disarming the viewer. Being dressed as a giant bug also helps. If these were humans having sex, these acts would really not be allowed to air on television. But the silly costumes and absurd props often distract the audiences from the flagrantly graphically sexual content. Comedy often serves as a harbor for the unspeakable. By laughing at the silliness of it all, we can disarm the taboo. Here's a clip from the video about bees. The dramatic life of the male honeybee is so hammed up it could easily be a Shakespearean tragedy. I would fly after her. I would mate her in flight. It's our nuptial flight. But pulling out from her, oh, my penis would break off. It would get stuck in her vagina like a cork in a bottle, but it would prevent other males from mating with her. She will be queen. She would start a new colony with my babies. But I would die without my penis. I would bleed to death. Rosalini's play acting puts her squarely in the role of the lusty, thrusting, stereotypical male. While popular culture often uses faux lesbian sex to titillate male viewers, it's not so often that we get to see the pretty female lead, Rosalini, cast herself in such butch roles. In the video about snails, no holds are barred. Rosalini first appears to be entirely naked, but she's wearing a skin-colored bodysuit. It's painted with cartoonish nipples and even pubic hair. I can produce darts. I use them to inflict pain on my partners before mating. It turns me on. I love to be hurt, too. Ah! Sadomasochism excites me. It's very cartoonish. 
Two vertical cloth-wrapped human snails are prodding each other with cardboard darts, but it's also startlingly graphic. I wanted people to laugh, but then to leave and say, wow, I didn't know about that. That was my green intervention, declares Rosalini. Perhaps, intentionally or not, it can also be seen as another kind of intervention. The characters reflect the more complex and colorful sides of natural sexual realities by playfully redefining unnatural sex acts as common, healthy, and practical. Isabella Rosalini's snails, flies, and bees are building a fascinating blend of queer, feminist, and scientific animal symbolism. Propaganda, the only podcast unironically dedicated to providing feminist perspectives on insect copulation. Subscribe now in iTunes and tell all your friends.